This is an audio essay. To read the actual essay, go to mahanmccann.substack.com. The link is in the description on Spotify or whichever platform you're listening on. Oh! Why are we so obsessed with true crime documentaries? Developing a theory of evil. Jeffrey Dahmer, prolific American serial killer and cannibal, has the number one TV show on Netflix this week. And I thought Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy was bad. Dahmer racked up the most views for Netflix since the debut of Stranger Things Season 4, with 196.2 million hours of watch time since its release on September 21st. What is our weird obsession with evil mass murdering serial killers? And culturally, why can't we stop making creaky cassette playing documentaries about every lunatic with aviator sunglasses and 10 plus murders under his belt? The True Crime Appeal We are watching more true crime now than ever and you have to wonder why. Why have these stories of gruesome murder appealed to people as far back as the 1400s? I think there's actually a pretty good argument for the cultural obsession with depraved serial killers, though it's probably not what Netflix is going for. And it's hidden in the ancient meaning of the word ethics, which is ethos, the characteristic spirit of a culture, era, community, manifested in its attitudes and aspirations. This is what ethics used to be about, not just right and wrong, but the question of how should I live my life. In my opinion, the best way to take this serial killer fad is at the very least in trying to answer this question in the negative, not like this. In this case, Dahmer was an interesting character. In retrospect, his life takes on a sinister supernatural element, wondering how could somebody get this fucked up? The psychologist's analysis of him came chillingly to the point in one of his documentaries. He didn't want people to abandon him, so he found a way of making them stay, or at least parts of them. One of the police officers that were in charge of prosecuting Dahmer said he exuded a chilling loneliness, like a black hole. In my opinion, the most fascinating thing about him is the curiosity he exhibits about himself. The whole rationale for his confessions in prison was that he wanted to understand why he was the way he was. He even donated his brain to science to further that research after his death. He probably had some sort of fundamental plumbing problems in the brain department, and the whole no friends and prepubescent dissection sessions with the scientist father probably didn't help either. But his quest is somewhat relatable, due to the black box nature of human beings and our behaviour. Annoyingly, we predictably act against our best interests, and have to wonder, why do we do that? For us it could be cake or beer, or in the case of Dahmer, murder. We are all compelled to behave in ways that we don't really approve of sometimes, and that a higher part of ourselves goes, hey, come on. It's a human thing. We aren't masters in our own house, as Sigmund Freud said. A relevant model of the mind comes from American social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, who describes the human mind as being like a rider on the back of a great elephant. In some sense, this metaphor suggests self-control is more like being a good jockey than a strict disciplinarian. We all suffer at times from desires from this great elephant that we don't approve of, and not all of our impulses fit neatly into the cookie-cutter mould of social and ethical approval. 
Sometimes you want to push that old lady out of the way in the queue for the shop or trip that loud annoying toddler or push a person into a water fountain or give out to your spouse or whatever terrible thing that crops up in your mind. And so I often wondered about Dahmer during the documentary. Is he different in kind or just in degree? They say you should read history as if it's your history. And I feel the same way about these documentaries. If one person can do it, we best sit up and take notice because this can teach us something about ourselves. What can we learn from serial killers? You probably know the story by now. Dahmer murdered 17 people in Milwaukee in the 90s. He first murdered someone at 18 in a drunken freakout when the man tried to leave him after giving him a lift, and then subsequently went nine years without killing anyone else. During this time, he quit drinking, moved in with his grandmother, started attending church, and seemed to be making some sort of effort toward not descending into the pit of hell which was calling him onwards. But after a man propositioned him in a library, he started to frequent gay bathhouses and to drug other men before sexually assaulting them. All of this behaviour ramped up to a second murder in a drunken blackout in the Ambassador Hotel, which began his inevitable landslide into the character in the film. The police officer who prosecuted Dahmer described his descent into his murder spree as a religious conversion in reverse. It seemed during this time his attitude to his desires changed rapidly from being a malfunction that he had to avoid to being his destiny. Perhaps he was made this way for a reason, he thought, and that he better act on these impulses. This might sound a bit fantastical, but that does seem to be what he was doing. As he descended and lost control of himself, the thrills had to get bigger and bigger and more and more depraved, and it is shocking the lengths that he went to in the pursuit of this evil mission. But such is the nature of pleasure, and what is called our hedonic set point is always moving forward. This is the danger of hedonism, that what gives us pleasure quickly becomes familiar, and we must move on to more novel pleasures to gain more. This hedonic flaw in human beings has been observed forever, and is noted by several ancient thinkers about the Roman Colosseum, where week by week the fans demanded more and more brutal ways to satisfy their bloodlust. Man versus man just wasn't enough. It had to be man versus lion, and then lion versus bear, and so on and so forth. This type of hedonic treadmill seems to occur with a lot of these evil characters, and the faster they run, the faster the treadmill moves. Even in whole cultures like Hitler and his Third Reich, when pleasure drives ambition and reality falls away, they become so corrupted that even their ability to control themselves becomes corrupted. And the whole thing tips over like a tower with too much weight on one side. There's probably a mathematical formula for it. A logarithmic equation for the degenerating entropy of evil. And evil is entropy. Life creates in a long time and evil destroys in seconds. Maybe that was the appeal. Absolute power and control. To be like a god. To have an unearned mastery over everybody else. And even in a spiritual, bargaining with the devil sort of way. Dahmer seemed to believe that he could keep these people with him, that he could possess them without their own reality intruding on his fantasies, and that this had something to do with love, or whatever his twisted version of love was. Interestingly, philosopher Iris Murdoch says, Love is the incredibly difficult realisation that someone other than oneself is real. And Dahmer's life existed in the exact opposition to this. 
His was an attempt to de-reality other people into objects of pleasure. And what he was doing took on a religious significance. The fact he tried to build a shrine out of the body parts and that the shrine would give him magical powers to control their souls even in death is pretty telling. His ingestion of people's body parts to try and take them into himself, to make them a part of him, struck me as such an incredibly pagan act, like the Aztecs tearing out the beating hearts of sacrifices to prevent their predicted apocalypse from coming true. Ancient cultures had these rituals of cannibalism, murder and keepsakes of body parts. Was Dahmer a lone madman or tapping into something much deeper? The court did ultimately find him sane, and there was clearly logic to his actions. He tried to set up a factory floor of decomposition to remove the evidence so he could continue satisfying his twisted desires and automate the work of getting rid of victims. He had a plan. An idealised state of affairs. And what can that tell us about the pattern of evil? A theory of evil. There's a quote from Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, that always stuck out to me. He said, there's an evil side to human nature, and I'm on that side. Mostly as people we aim at doing our best, or more accurately probably, just enough to avoid getting into trouble and to get by. But what if we in some sort of perverted sense aimed at doing the worst possible? Like that was our goal. Ramirez would murder and rape his victims, and then draw a pentagram on the wall and masturbate of it. It's almost comical. It's like he tried to envision the worst thing that he could possibly do and then to top it again. And that's what these guys end up doing. They are trying to be as bad as possible. As their crimes go on, they have to level up the level of depravity and break every taboo and rule known to civilized society. And that suggests that there's a pattern to evil. A hierarchy of evil that one can climb if you are foolish enough to trek that damned and hellish path. And that actually, it's a bastardization of the good path. You see this pattern with school shooters, who will often research other shooters and compare and contrast their own plans. They exist in a community and find role models that fit their depraved goals. Like how a boxer might look up to one other boxer and emulate them to improve their skills, but in a twisted and sick way. The desire for admiration and emulation is so deeply enrooted in us that even humans that try and reject their humanity and destroy themselves and others end up embodying a dark shadow of the same pattern. This pattern is what we call character, or ethos. And also, probably the sole defense of this type of entertainment is that it exemplifies bad character so we can see the light of the good in their wrong. Hopefully, it is an uncontroversial statement to say that Jeffrey Dahmer lived a bad life and therefore exists as some sort of twisted normative standard for what a good life could be, at least not that. In our secular and multicultural world, without any ethical tradition, perhaps the true crime phenomenon is an attempt to shine a light on the most curious phenomena of what being a bad person really looks like. Again, hopefully, it can teach us what being a good person would be like in reverse. Conclusion Hopefully, we can take instruction from these type of people's miserable existence and learn that love is beyond the objectifying of people into objects of pleasure and that it is the wrong way to think about other human beings. And that real love involves granting others their reality, their desires, 
their separateness, and celebrating their free will and ability to make their own choices, loving them for who they are rather than reducing them to objects. Dahmer's life dramatises the ethos of evil as a pattern of behaviour, the corrupting and perennial effect of the mindless pursuit of pleasure and hedonism and rejecting the reality of others. His life is a bastardization of the road we take towards competence, status, prestige and love. Still, in some strangely hopeful way, even a life as terrible as that can act as a negative foundation for the normativity of a life lived well. One which we implicitly accept when we describe such a person as bad or evil. Because any theory of evil is really a theory of good as well. In this way, we see that good is absolute, because even in the darkest parts of the evil shine the light of the good.